Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession today is Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. All children are born with a default mechanism to foolishness. This is the consequences of their nature of sin. They must be corrected by reproofs and corporal punishment for them to learn wisdom and be successful. This is one of the simple truths of life. If these methods of child rearing are neglected, the child will be a painful disgrace to his parents. A properly trained child is disciplined, diligent, devoted. She is gracious and loving and pure. And he is noble, stable and trustworthy. And they are faithful and productive at their callings, courteous in public, they have been moral and virtuous in private, and esteemed by all who know them. This is wisdom. Right proof of reproof in the rod will produce it. Contrast this, if you will, to the modern Enlightenment methods of child rearing, where little Johnny is told that he is special just as he is. He's a winner. He's coddled and pampered and praised no matter what he does to himself or to others. His temper tantrums are self-expression. His lack of self-control is hyperactivity. His rebellion is independence. His promiscuity is extra affection. His violence is a strong personality. And his arson is spontaneous creativity. All of this is a syndrome, a disorder, a condition, or a disease. Never is it called sin. And a child left alone brings shame. And that leaving alone is something that can start happening as soon as a child is born and able to be left alone. Leave a two-year-old alone and bad things start to happen. What do you have to do in a garden to fill, let it fill up with weeds? Well, really nothing, as it turns out. Regarding these matters in our own lives and in our churches, we do want to be warned against wooden legalism in these matters. A wooden legalist would be someone who cannot allow any sort of complication or exception or nuance. He thinks the law of God is made out of pressure-treated two-by-fours. But we must also acknowledge that God teaches that this is generally true, that a child who is brought up poorly is likely to turn out poorly. The Proverbs are Proverbs. They are not mathematical proofs. They are not all triangles have three sides type of statements. But Proverbs are generally true. Please know that these admittedly hard words from Scripture are not given in order to rub our noses in it. They are given because true repentance is the beginning of restoration. True repentance begins when we honestly seek God and ask Him to reveal to us our own sins. We ask for His forgiveness and we trust Him for good fruit in our lives and in the lives of our children. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Please kneel where you are. Um, today our scripture reading is from um, Romans. Paul's letters to Romans chapter 1 and um, I have shared with a couple of you guys I didn't I was not brought up in a reformed tradition 
Reformed faith. I grew in a, I was brought in a Pentecostal church. Uh, that was the first time that I heard the gospel. I, I, I became a believer in the, in the Pentecostal church. I went to the mission field by, through uh, Pentecostal church. And I always had listened and these accusation against the Reformed tradition, uh, especially against Calvin. The Calvin never thought about uh, evangelism, mission, and that, that was something that made me very resistant against the Reformed tradition, even though I got married with a Presbyterian woman. But then I, got, I started to get used, you know, and when I, was, uh, when I started to study, then I, 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 I really um, got deep and and trying to understand the Reformed faith um, on this topic of evangelism and mission, because Reformation did have an impact in the world. And then I discovered, um, I think it was last year, I was writing a paper at Westminster for my uh, historical class. So I, 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 I started to search about Calvin and his relationship with my country. And I found a beautiful piece of work. And I found and I discovered that this accusation against the Reformed uh, tradition does not stand. Because actually Calvin was the one who sent the first missionaries to Brazil. And guess what? I was so proud. As a Brazilian, of course, because we had the first, um, the first reformed service in all, in all America. We are the first nation who had a confession of faith being written in, in 1557. Uh, and you know how that happened? Cal sent five missionaries to Brazil. And those, those guys were accepted at the first time. But then, because of the Roman Catholic tradition and all the persecution was brought up through the Spain uh, Empire, and they changed their minds. They were supposed to leave Brazil, but they d didn't want. Um, so there were uh, demands to write down their conviction a statement of faith, and that becomes the first one in America, a Western, oh, uh, Guanabara Confession of Faith. It's a beautiful piece, very well written by those men. And those men, they knew if they write down, then they will be put to death. And they took one night, they start in the night, and they go throughout the night writing this confession. And in the morning, they presented this confession, Guanabara Confession of Faith, and they were put to death. They knew they were being questioning, they were supposed to write down so that they could be put to death under a right a way of putting people to death against the Roman Catholic tradition. So anyway, I found so beautiful to see that Reformation did have impact in terms of a mission call to the world. But is that still something that we appreciate? 
is that something that we, we feel ourselves obligated to? So that's why I, I choose this passage today uh, to really emphasize and to inspire you to see how Paul saw himself under this great command of spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel with others. So let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 14. You know this letter here, it's a unique piece of Paul, because Paul did not, did not found this church here. He never visits Rome, but he was so excited about them. Because they were, they were famous. You know about what? Not because they had a beautiful building. No, no. Not because they, they were very group, uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, uh, in the church, but because of their faith. Verse 8 said that. So Paul um, see himself obligated to write to them and to, to enjoy this uh, endeavor that their faith is going throughout the world. Verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greek and barbarians, or Gentiles, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gospel um, reaching us. Um, most of us born, were, were brought up in a Christian family. Others were not. But we all have experienced your great salvation plan. And now as we turn to your word, please help us to, to see, understand, accept, and apply it in our hearts. Open up our minds and hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You know, Michigan was the first uh, territory in the world to abolish capital punishment. Um, but it's still, there is a, a, just one um, crime that a people here can still be put to death. It's treason. Uh, so in 1947, something like that, it was abolished. And capital punishment, just think about yourself. How horrible is it? But now think about yourself. Suppose you were given by the governor of Michigan uh, the privilege of handing a letter of pardon to a person who were in the wall, the hall of death um, penalty, waiting for a lethal injection. And you were the one that the governor gave the privilege to hand this um, freedom. But now you were um, caught up in so many things to do. You went away doing shopping. You you cut your grass and you went to a vacation, but then later on you, you just got the new paper saying, uh, today a man was put to death. And then you remind yourself that you were the one who had the letter for his 
pardon. So the question is, how would you feel if you were the one? There was no plan B. How would you feel? So it seems that's the way Paul is feeling here. When he laid down these three I am's for us to share the gospel. That's the title for today. The Christian's three I am's. I know, I am. When you think about the word I am, we think about Moses, we think about Jesus saying I am. But here we have the opportunity to say I am. Our three I am's. So we're going to see here three I am's that Paul states here. I am obligated, I am eager, I am not ashamed uh, to share the gospel. And the first, the, the, sorry, the last two, uh, eager and not ashamed, we are very familiar with. But the first one, obligated, what, 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 what does that mean? We are not, sometimes we, we don't understand too much, so I'm going to give more attention to the first one and less attention to this two seconds here. So let's go to the first one. Verse 14, Paul says, I am, I am under obligation, and we know, to share the gospel. So Paul says that he is obligated. Obligated. And here's something that we don't think about ourselves too much. Obligated to share the gospel. We see ourselves obligated to come to church we see ourselves obligated to baptize our kids. We see ourselves obligated to share, to participate in the Lord's Supper. But not too much to share the gospel. But he is Paul saying, I am obligated. Or we can say, I am in debt. I am a debtor to share the gospel. So I hope you can get the feeling here. And I believe sometimes we don't understand this obligation because we don't understand the nature of the obligation itself. So let's go to the Greek word and see what does it mean to be obligated. The Greek word here, um, ophelitis, describes a sense of an obligate person in a moral obligation to do something. It's a moral obligation. Perhaps uh, financially, religiously. That's why this word is also uh, translated as that. That's why King James translated this verse saying, I am debtor. Both to Greek and to barbarians, and then goes on. So this word uh, is referring to a moral obligation. In other words, if you don't fulfill the call to share the gospel, you are not ethically fulfilling your moral obligation in God's kingdom. That's why Paul was so eager. So, elsewhere, Paul also used these words of Philetus to describe a moral obligation as well. Um, Regarding to our sanctification, Romans 8, verse 12, you can see the feeling here. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, we are debtor, we are in debt, we are in a moral obligation to what? 
to live according to the Spirit. In Romans 15, Paul again used the same words here of Felitis. And here, see how, how, how Paul is putting a moral obligation over the shoulders of the Gentiles. Paul says that he is writing this letter, Romans, while he is going to Jerusalem to do what? To deliver a collection, an offering from the Gentiles, church, Corinth, uh, Philippi, Thessalonians, to the believers, the Jewish people, the Christians people, the majority was Jewish, in Jerusalem. Romans 15, if you can open. And now in verse 27, see what Paul does. Instead of clapping his hand for uh, the Gentiles' generosity, and it was, of course, for the act itself of giving, of offering, Paul says that their act of offering is in fact an obligation to the Jews. Why? Because the Gentiles have enjoyed the spiritual blessing that came through the Jewish people. Can you see that? So you are now morally obligated to help your brother, the Jewish people in Jerusalem. It's huge. It's huge. It's, uh, it's another level of commitment. And that's what I want to show to you. Three levels of commitment, commitment to share the gospel. The first one is regarding to moral obligation. We have a moral obligation. We have a debt. Kids, have you ever received a bill in your house, in your name? Like perhaps electric bill, water bill, credit card bill. I hope not. <laughs> I hope you don't have a credit card yet. But your parents, parents do receive monthly a bill. And you know, a debt is not an option. A debt's not an option. If a person has a loan in a house, the bank does not send you a monthly letter saying, my dear customer, I'm writing to check with you if you could consider the possibility of paying something this month to cover your debt. Is that the way the bank sends a letter to you? Really? I mean, giving you an option to pay whether or not uh, if you can? No, of course. You have a debt with your bank. You know it's a firm contract that you cannot escape unless it is either paid or forgiven. You know? And you know the moral obligation. You don't play around with your bank. You don't find, you don't find excuse your bank. Well, how many excuses we find to share the gospel? It's impressive. We are so creative. So it's a moral obligation. We need to reach out with the gospel. And you know why? Because we are 
in that to the gospel itself because the gospel reached us out first. But there is something more here. It's not ju just the meaning of what is uh, uh, the obligation that we have, but to whom we are obligated to. To whom is Paul in that here? Turn to verse 1. Let's see the first uh, person here that Paul is in that to. Verse 1. Paul, see how Paul describes himself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. It's, has, here's the answer. A servant. I know, these words don't, it still sound very nicely for us to escape, you know? No, a servant, oh, I don't see more obligation. But let me say to you that the word Paul is using here in the Greek is a bound slave. A bound slave of Christ. Paul saw himself as a bound slave of Christ to the one who freed him, to the one who died for him. That's the way he saw himself. Do you see himself as a slave? If you see, you're going to share the gospel. Because it's not a matter from what you have been free, but to whom you have been freed. Did you see? It's not just a matter from what, but for whom, to whom, through whom. Your master, Jesus Christ. So that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, chapter 6, verse 20, you are not of your own. You are not of your own. You don't belong to yourself because Jesus died for you. Jesus reigns of you. But second, there is, there is something more here. To whom is Paul in that? Verse 14. Paul saw himself here as a debtor to both Greek and barbarians. In other words, to all Gentiles. Those who speak the Greek language, those who live the Greek culture, and all those who don't. To everyone. As one commentator states, it's, it is a standard phrase to include all races and classes within the Gentile world at that time. It's pretty interesting as well that Paul says to the wise and to the foolish. And again, it's just a way of saying to the Greek and to the barbarians because we know barbarians are, are, were recognized by the Greek people as an ed, uneducated people, root. So it makes sense to, to the Greek uh, um, people. So the conclusion here, if you think about Paul's thought, idea of being obligated to share the gospel, it is in light of God's redemptive plan. Paul saw himself in debt to all who are spiritual lost. Spiritual lost. Now, let me ask you, do you feel yourself morally obligated to share the gospel with all those people that are not here today, are lost, walking the streets, when you go to your job, when you go to your school, wherever you go, do you see yourself obligated 
to share the gospel? Or you see yourself having an option to do that in light of your feeling? What about your neighborhood? Do you see yourself, the non-believer, do you see yourself as a debtor to him, to her? No. Just be honest. We don't feel that way. Especially when we are talk about morally obligated. It goes to our hearts. So Paul understood his obligation. Paul understood that his obligation to share the gospel to the spiritual lost people was always upon him. That's why he said, Oh to me if I do not preach the gospel. I cannot boast. It's a moral obligation. Don't clap hands to me. Many times when I used to go uh, to Brazil to give my personal reports about going all the way, preaching the gospel, the church used to look at me, wow, it's so beautiful. Oh, my world. As, as, as if I, I had come from another planet, you know. No, we are supposed to do. I have just been called to do another place to do what you were supposed to do here. But we don't feel morally obligated. Unfortunately. And you know what? Perhaps you are thinking, wow, morally obligated is too heavy. But you will not find in anywhere in scripture the believers have been released from that same obligation. To be released from our guilt and condemnation in light of God's righteousness and justness and holy is one thing. But God never released us from this obligation, moral obligation to share the gospel. But rather, as Paul states in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and many, many people think that people are just speaking about himself, that it's a debatable. It's debatable whether or not we could be in that passage that you, you know. It seems that since God reconciled us to himself, 2 Corinthians verse 5, verse 18 to 20, since God reconciled us to himself, now, now we are in that to the ministry of reconciliation itself. Meaning, God entrusts us the message of reconciliation. So God placed us in this world as ambassadors for Christ. And God, according to Paul, God is making his appeal through us to this fallen world. As one commentator says, God continues to act through those who have been reconciled. They have the privilege and responsibility to share this great divine enterprise and are called and to call others to be reconciled to God. When, when we understand the treasure of being reconciled to God, we don't uh, hide this treasure to ourselves. But just intellectual understand 
commitments, not enough. We had, we had to have something else here. So here's our second level of commitment. We had to have passion, eagerness to share the gospel. There has to be something more. Verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So the second word that Paul uses in this text describes another level here of the commitment to share the gospel. In Greek, prothymon, that's the word, eager, ready. I'm ready. In the Greek, it describes a passion, eagerness, willingness, and it has a connotation of a strong feeling of predisposition to do something, to accomplish some ends. It's also a status of readiness. Let's do it. I'm ready. I will do now. In other words, it's emotional. It's a feeling. So we have the intellectual level, but also you have to have feeling, passion. Otherwise, we're not going to move. And I like the order here. I know if you grasp here the way Paul puts those words. First, we have this intellectual understanding, more obligation. You see now, reason is not enough. Mind is not enough. There has to be your heart inside of it. It's emphasized a time of stop talking, start doing. And I used to preach in Pentecostal church, of course, at that time. Um, so many conferences about mission. And then I, I used to finish and people used to come to me. You know, Eric, I have a call. Oh, man, I have a call, I have a call, I have a call, I have a call, I have a call. And that just stopped in the intellectual conviction. Didn't go to the heart. There has to be more than intellectual understanding. There has to come a time, moments of action. That's why Paul is saying here, I'm ready to go. We can translate that way. I am eager to share the gospel. And I like the way NIV put, puts it. NIV says, that's why I'm so eager. Of course, you, you have to go to verse 16. That's why. That's why what? Because it's the power of God. That's why I'm so excited. And that's why we are not excited. Because we don't understand the power of the gospel. So Jesus himself used this prothymon when he was exhorting, exhorting his disciples on the importance of prayer. Do you believe that prayer, prayer is important? Oh yeah, intellectually, most believers believe on that. But go to a prayer meeting. Go to a prayer meeting during the evening. A church with 1,000 members, you're going to have 20, 5, 4, or as we used to say in Brazil, Jesus, Peter, John, and Steve will be there. As always. Of course everybody believes. Of course intellectually we do believe. 
but don't, we don't have passion. So Jesus, in Matthew 26, verse 41, said to his disciples, using these words, Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, ready to do, eager to do, passionate to do, but the flesh is weak. When we are not preaching the gospel, it's because we are hearing too much of the flesh. We are not hearing our um, spirit, the spirit of God. And here again, no one you deny about the importance of a prayer meeting, of going to a prayer meeting. So the question is whether or not we think prayer is important but whether or not we are passionate to do it. And back to Paul's sense of obligation to share the gospel. You see, it doesn't seem, at least for Paul, it doesn't seem to be a burden for him to share the gospel. To the contrary, Paul is eager, passionate to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome, and what I can, I can conclude here is that our obligation to share the gospel does not need to be a kind of joyless commitment to an unpleasant task. No. It's a joyful commitment which flows the joy that we need to preach the gospel flows from where? It seems for Paul, at least for Paul, and for me, and for David in the Old Testament, Psalms 51, it seems that the joy to share the gospel with those who are lost flows out of our own experience in God's salvation. Perhaps that's why some people think, and I used to hear, um, I used to hear that new believers are generally much more active in sharing their faith than the other believers. I remember when I, I, I became a believer, three weeks, three weeks later, I was like crazy, you know, preaching even for my own shadow. You had to believe. <laughs> Everywhere causing so many problems, even my family. Going in the streets, preaching, preaching, preaching. I didn't know that Goliath was in the Old, or Goliath was in the old Testament and Paul was in the New. Well, I didn't know. I, I just knew people need to get out of hell. So I should hear that new believers, um, that's why we are more active. Because they are still passionate about sharing the treasure they found but you know what? I didn't buy it. Because I saw people in the church using that as an excuse to not jumping and join me in going out to preach the gospel. And I discovered that this joy of salvation does not naturally have to diminish 
in believers' hearts, but rather it can grow. I was a Pentecost, remember, and I didn't want to study theology. My wife's family used to say, please go to a seminary and get more knowledge. And I used to say, knowledge to kill my passion? Because I don't see you guys going out to preach the gospel. I was resisting for many years. I know, I knew that it was a good theology, but I didn't see a good testimony about sharing the gospel. And I was afraid. But then when I went to study theology, first of all, in Africa, undergrad degree, I started to be more passionate, more and more passionate. And I saw that this accusation against education was really a lie. Because our joy can increase when we grow in our understanding of our Lord Jesus and about our salvation, our joy will increase. And our eagerness, passion to preach the gospel will increase as well. You will not hold yourself back. Never. I was in Africa in 2009. I went first. And a friend of mine, I already said that, I think. His English was even horrible than mine. Can you imagine? And my English back then was horrible than I. Uh, that, uh, right now. But we were passionate. Every 10 o'clock, every Saturday, get the train and preaching. You have five minutes because each station, you know. And, but I get so discouraged because we were inviting people from our uh, agent's mission. Let's go, let's go. 120 pe people, students, staffs over there. No one uh, wants uh, to join us. And I even heard, why you go there? Your English is not good. I said, okay, I don't care. Perhaps the Holy Spirit will give some gifts for those people. <laughs> Kidding. So, uh, and then I, I felt discouraged, you know. And I, I came back to the base. And I said to myself, no, I'm not going next, next week. And then my, my friend Paul said to me, let's go, Eric, you know. Let's go. Who cares if our English is not good? Who cares if people are going to listen to us or not? We have a command. It's, it is not based in our good English and neither in acceptance, reception. So let's do it. And then when I step in the train, guess what I saw? Even before she started to scream in the train, I saw a guy um, carrying a whiteboard. And he was preaching the gospel with a black mar mark, marker, pain. And I said, oh my word, he's preaching the gospel in that way? Why? You know why? Because he was, he didn't speak. That was shocking for me. And I saw that guy, passionating, liking that, going to everyone. I don't have excuse. My English is pretty bad, but the gospel is powerful. I need to keep preaching. 
So there is no excuse. That guy, without speaking, and still passionate, and still feeling the moral obligation, that's why, that's how Paul is feeling here. We should keep in mind that commitment always means excitement. And I'm trying to teach my kids because they, they have been brought up in a Christian family. And that is a great threat for us. A great threat for us, for our kids, for the next generation. They are the one who is supposed to preach the gospel. And then the last commitment here is a mix between intellectual commitment and still emotional commitment. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Ashamed. We have seen here that we are obligated, and our obligation here involves um, a issue of minds. Obligation is something that we know, we understand. It does not speak about our emotion, but intellect. But then we see the, in, the emotional part here, the heart the passion, readiness. But now, to be ashamed is both an issue of heart and an issue of minds. It involves both our emotion and our intellect. Jesus also used these words in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the, the holy angels. There is an intellectual sense here an emotional feeling here that those who are rejecting Jesus and his word, that is what they're going to get in the final judgment. God will be intellectually ashamed of them, but also emotionally ashamed of them. And Paul's Ashamed here, non ashamed here view of the gospel, as you can see in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews, Jew first, and also to the Greek. You see, his view here about not be ashamed of the gospel was not rooted in his knowledge, in his education in his rhetorical um, expertise. No, not at all. The central focus here was not knowledge itself. Not upon his knowledge. The reason Paul was unashamed in his ministry called to share the gospel was not because of his self-confidence. But because of Christ himself, it is the power 
of the gospel. It is Christ himself who empowered us. And that's the foundation here for all those levels. Why am I obligated? Because of this power. Why I feel passionate? Because of this power. Why I'm not ashamed? Because it's a real power. So all those three levels find themselves in this gospel. The power of God for salvation. So only those who understand salvation deeply well can go out and share their faith. So let me conclude here. First, as we see our obligation to Christ, our moral obligation to share the gospel is first of all to Christ um, who died for us. And that obligation to Christ produces an obligation to those who are without Christ. As an unknown author said, I cannot work my soul to save the work my Lord has done, but I will, work, I, will, I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. It's like a poem. I cannot work my soul to save the work my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. Still feeling as a bound slave to share the gospel. Second, we need to be eager to the gospel. It's not just intellectual understand. You see that knowing that what's right is not enough. You have to be passionate with that commitment, with that joyful commitment, which flows out out of our own understanding about our own salvation we are thankfulness that's why we preach unless we should not be ashamed of the gospel as we see here it's not our power the power of it does not belong to us but to Christ that's, that's why we are not ashamed that's why we are morally obligated that's why we should be passionate to share the gospel and never ashamed. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your moral obligation because you are the one who established your promises, your covenant to redeem a people to yourself and you you have been faithful to your own moral obligation. And you have been passionate. You love the world and you send your son. And you have not been ashamed about your people. Even when your people are so sinful, so broken, like the church in Corinthians, you still call them saints, children. Not because we deserve, but because of the one who was perfect in fulfilling 
all the moral obligation, the one who loved us and gave his life for us, who died for us, the one who was never ashamed of us. Even at the cross, he was never ashamed. So help us, the Lord, to understanding, to understand this truth of the gospel. And please have mercy on us. Apply this truth of the gospel into our hearts so that we can please you in a way that most glorify you by sharing the gospel. fed the 5,000. There's really 5,000 households, right? Because there's 5,000 men at least. And there's, uh, he fed them with uh, five barley loaves and two fish that the uh, disciples gathered from, the, uh, from the, uh, the people that had gathered there. And in John, I just want to read the last part of that uh, account. It says, And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. The disciples, when they started down this path, they thought there wouldn't be enough food to feed the people. But Jesus knew that there was. And Jesus, is, Jesus likes it when resources are low. He wants to teach us that if we have him, then we have all the resources that we need. In this story, what the disciples had was enough. It was insignificant. It was only five loaves and two fish. But in reality, Anything they had would have been enough. He could have created something from nothing. And in reality, in fact, that's what he did. It is significant that there is great excess at the end of the story. Jesus did not just break bread and fish, break bread and fish until everybody's full and just satisfied. He kept breaking it after there was more than enough, such that there was an excess. He was extravagant. There were 12 baskets left over, enough to feed every tribe of Israel. In Christ, we are the new Israel, and the church has become Israel around the globe. Canaan is no longer the promised land. The entire world is the promised land. And in Jesus, there's enough to feed everyone to the utter ends of the earth. This is what we declare here. This is the gospel. So we eat and drink in thanksgiving for God's abundant provision for life in all the world in Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.